Welcome back to the Oklahoma drill. Um, unfortunately, coming off of a loss that is frustrating, especially given how supremely confident we were last episode. Um, and I still think fairly, um, but uh, definitely going to take back that conversation we had about wanting, about being sad about how boring our games are. Uh, but here we are. Um, Alex and Sam here. Um, we're not going to dwell too much on the Kansas State game because uh, we don't want to get sad and angry. Um, obviously, it's a disappointing result. Um, do you guys agree that I think this is ba- we can stop talking about the playoff now? Pretty much. I mean, I I'm I personally one of the few I think that is not in that boat. I really think that if Alabama thoroughly thumps LSU, then we are right back in it. I think if they beat LSU by 20 or something then the committee will not feel the need to put them back in there to face teams. Like, upsets happen, and they get that. And I don't think that – I think they will look at that, especially because we have the Blue Blood name. And if it's one loss, you know, Big 12 champion Oklahoma versus one loss LSU that got thoroughly thumped, I personally think they would put us in in that scenario. That's Yeah, that's fair. I had not even considered the possibility that LSU might get thumped. Um, but that would definitely be interesting. Um, Alex, how about you? I, I, I don't think LSU will get thumped by Alabama because I, I mean, it's unlikely that two is like a hundred percent by that point. Um, I also think LSU is quite good at football. So mm-hmm. there's that. I think best, I mean, I think the best chance at this point is for Alabama to lose and then lose to Auburn. Um, and that will kind of put us right there. I just, right. I don't know. I, I don't think we, it's something weird is going to have to happen along those lines. Something else that we need to consider is that we need Oregon to lose because I think a one loss Oregon with their one loss being to Auburn is probably going to get in over us. Our schedule is bad. Like it, there's no good win. Right. Texas right. is still our best win and that's looking worse every week. So that's right. That, like all, all we can hope is that like Baylor thrashes the rest of their schedule and we get to beat them twice. Like, yeah, or I mean, hell, if K State wins out or something crazy, you know? Like, right. I don't. I just, I mean, I'm not. I will say I don't really think less of this basketball team or basketball, this football. <laughs> team. Like, I just, I think we had a bad day, and if there, there are any number of like a hundred things that could have gone differently, and if one of them did, we would have won the game. Um, our defense game, I don't think it's something that's going to just be a problem moving forward that we're just not going to be able to defend anybody from now on. Um, our offense, you know, it was fine for the most part. Yeah. We only ran six plays in the third quarter, but that was largely a defense and special teams issue. So I'm not really concerned. Right. Um, and I, but I guess my question too is, does it seem like there's less, panic around this loss than there's been the last two years when we lost like it like I think the last two years when we lost games there was just this ridiculous crazy overreaction and or maybe just proper reaction but I feel like most for the most part as far as college football fan bases go like I feel like we're pretty calm right now after a loss am I right or am I just blocking everything out really well um I mean, obviously, I think there's certainly anger to be found if you go looking for it. Um, 
I, th- I, it's just really strange. Um, I think a lot of the last one had to do with like at that time when we lost to Iowa State, we didn't know that Iowa State was one good that year and two was going to have sustained success after that. So it was very weird. We were in the midst of like, hey, Baker's still here and you know this is his third year and we're just going to absolutely destroy everybody. Um, and also it was at home. And so I think that might have dealt with or caused the panic a lot that time. Mm-hmm. I think right now I have seen still a little of, you know, everyone jumping shit. The playoff is completely out of the question, which, yeah, we definitely have to have more help now. Uh, but I've seen just a little bit of that. I think the mo- the worst overreaction I've seen is, oh, Jalen's definitely not winning the Heisman now. Like, one, it was already, I mean, looking like an outside chance. Like, he was probably right. second coming into that. But, like, he still played incredibly well other than, you know, a few... I don't know what what to even call. He had a fumble early on that we recovered, and there were times he didn't get blocked for maybe a few bad decisions. But like his stats still look good, and all the people will remember is a fluky kind of right. I lost. Yeah, I think if you talk about this game in terms of Jalen's Heisman chances, I think the like what you're really looking at is like this was an opportunity for him to be like transcendent, and this would be like a statement Heisman moment for him, and it wasn't that, which is you know. That's sad, um, and those don't come around all that often. So, like, I do think that, like, it probably hurts his Heisman chances, but, like, I didn't. I don't think Jalen is going to win the Heisman, and I don't think, I think it would be really weird if he did, honestly. Yeah, definitely, and I don't, I don't before going into it, I didn't think he was going to win the Heisman. I don't know that he necessarily increased or decreased just the fact, like, oh, this is what caused him to not win the Heisman. Like you don't have to go twelve and zero to win the Heisman. Joe Burrow probably isn't going to go twelve and zero, and he's the favorite right now. Like, right. That's just that was the biggest overreaction I noticed. Yeah, I I could not care less about the Heisman Trophy if I'm being yep. completely honest. Like it doesn't matter to me. We won the last two. God, give it to Chase Young. <laughs> what? I said he's... give it to Chase Young. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, and listen, we're gonna like we got a statue backlog already. Like we can't get. <laughs> my my big thing with this is that it's just frustrating to me that we lost to a team that we're way better than, and we lost control of our own destiny. Like it was everything was right. set up in every game that we played, and we're in the playoff, and we can go do something from there. Now, I mean, it. I don't know how likely it is that all that will happen that we need to happen will happen, but it's, it's certainly not impossible. My, I'm definitely not done with playoff consideration. Like I'm going to be following those rankings every week, see how we move up. Cause I'm confident that we're not going to lose again. Um, that's really all I have on the game. I don't really. Right. Care. Yeah. Hey, um, I will shout okay. out Gabe Burkich. Apparently we have a kicker that's better than right. last. Right. Um, Uh-oh. What happened? Oh, are you are you there? Yep. Okay. That was interesting. Um I had assumed that I had just lost connection to everybody and was going to ride it out. Um but apparently not. Um Okay. Um let's see. Let's talk any... about 
what? No, go ahead. Talk about what we came on here to talk about. Right. It's, it's basketball season, y'all. Oh, it's basketball season. This is such a once, beautiful Once time. OU loses, basketball season officially starts. Right. Right. This is, and like, just on cue, it's like, oh, winter started today. That's great. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, this is a really wonderful and they, could, they honestly... They honestly couldn't have waited till a better time to do it. Like, we've been, in the past couple of years, our first loss has been coming fairly early in the season. It's like, I don't even have basketball yet. Come on, guys. Right. But right. now they, they waited till the perfect time. Thank you, Oklahoma football, for not letting me down this year. <laughs> yep. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I was like, this is a really wonderful time in sports. Um, it's that I've come to dub the sports uh, which is when you have. Uh, college football, the NFL, the World Series, and basketball all happening at the same time. Um, and and NHL for what it's worth. I, I don't even know what that is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's a great time. It's like, for some reason, October is the time. Like late October, everyone plays sports all the time, which makes sense because it's a wonderful time of year. Um, basketball. So... Um, Oh, where to begin? Where to begin? I guess we can just let's start with the Thunder, right? Um, one in three. I could not be happier. I think you mean four and oh. That's true. Yeah, no, I think if, if you're following my Twitter account, you know that we are the Thunder are four and oh. Um, and they're playing beautiful basketball, just the right. perfect end of basketball that you need. They are, they're not horrible. So they're watchable, but they also cannot win a close game to save their life. And that is just the perfect place. Right. I, I, think, I think, honestly, Billy Donovan, coach of the year at this point. It's, yeah, it's it's so good. If Now, I don't want to get too deep into complaints too quickly, but do, they do sometimes let Dennis Schroeder touch the ball. Um, Which is exactly like the unwatchable players are the ones that, we aren't in the long-term plan such as Dennis Schroeder and the ones that are blowing the games for us and are improving our draft position. The incredibly watchable players like Shea Gilgis Alexander are the ones that we're going to keep for hopefully, you know, like nine years. No, it's great because the plan is so clearly laid out and it's just so good from Billy. So good from Sam. Uh, Just so excited about the future of this team. Yeah. Um, which honestly, hey, here's a hot take. Uh, <laughs> this team kind of feels at points better, <laughs> better and that's than... yeah, and that's obviously um, that's probably not true it uh, because I mean, for one thing, the bench is just the pits. Um, but like, look at how much better this team shoots. At least the starting lineup shoots than last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we gained like 14 draft picks yeah. in the process of assembling it. Right. I just can't help but watch this game, or all of these games really, and think of all the wonderful 8th graders we're going to get. It is just yeah. so choice, so bright. I don't have to watch Russell Westbrook fight Steven Adams for rebounds anymore. I only have to watch him do that four times a year. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Um. I guess actually that here's an interesting let's talk about Steve um, 
a disappointing start for the season for him. So yeah, so I pulled up some advanced stats and they were to uh, really highlight how good Trey Young has been. And so I kind of you know gave an arbitrary amount of field goal attempts to you know determine who has actually played a lot this year. And then sorted by true shooting percentage after that. And Trey is pretty high up there and probably the best true shooter uh, as far as volume shooters go. And I said, hey, you know, it'd be fun. Let's sort it the other way. Who are the worst? Who has the worst true shooting percentage amongst people uh, with my arbitrary qualifications? And Steven Adams is second to last on that list. Who's below him? Uh, Mike Conley, who we also uh, talked about uh, <laughs> being not great. Right. Um yeah, I think um, with Steve, uh, obviously, you know, the free throw shooting is just like, he's got to get it together. Um, but I don't know, I look at the other offensive stuff, and I think it's so it's so clear now, the degree to which like his ability to like, have like, he's like fifth, I think, among eligible players in career field goal percentage. Um, and it's that's. That might be among active players. I don't know. Um, but it's so clearly because he has played with a good pick-and-roll guard. Like, And the fact that Chris Paul is also not playing incredibly well is so... like, I think that those two things are linked, and it's difficult to determine who is dragging down who right now. Um, but I think one thing we're definitely learning is that like uh, <laughs> Stephen Adams expanding his offensive game is not on track right now yeah yeah it's I like i don't care about him anymore he's one of the guys and as far as i'm concerned he's one of those guys that i that does not factor into the future of the thunder like he just hasn't gotten better and i just mm-hmm. i don't care like it's yeah. it's what it is he's not worth the contract that he got he never was he never will be and you know he will always have that one three he hit in the first preseason game but the guy will not shoot the basketball if he's not at the rim and you know if there was ever a year for him to expand his game offensively it was this one and i know we're only four games in but i haven't seen a single thing that makes me think that's happening i've seen a player that is worse than i've ever seen him before um so yeah i'm done i don't yeah no he definitely feels like he has regressed and we were hoping like when he was with russell westbrook like hey if he could get that like eight foot floater like he would, he and Russ would be an unstoppable, like pick and roll tandem. And right. now it's like, hey, if he could finish at the rim again, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, he would be like a positive. <laughs> well, it's not even just that. It's just I've never seen him look so slow. Like he looks slow in every way. Like he's making slow decisions. He's, you know, he gets the ball. If he's by the rim, he's bringing the ball all the way fucking down like he always has, but he's doing it slower. So he's right. getting swiped even more than he ever has. He's trying to post up guys that are way smaller than him. He can't even get close to the rim, and he definitely can't make his hook shot. Like, I just – I'm right. tired of waiting on him to get better, and I don't think it's going to happen at this point. And I'm just looking forward to his contract expiring and either signing him for, like, $5 million or just letting him go somewhere else. Let him go play within his canter again. They seem to like each other. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, um, this is, this is also sort of an interesting situation for Steve in that, um, you know, situation and mentality are such a big thing, um, 
And this is the like this is a radically different situation than Steve has ever been in basketball wise. So like the like he's never played on a team that wasn't like trying to win a championship that year. And it's you know it's entirely possible that like absent that uh, drive, like absent that like lofty goal, you know he doesn't he you know he doesn't have the motivation to play at a high level. Um, some players are just like that. Um, and you know this is maybe Steve finding out that he's that kind of player, and the Thunder finding out that he's that kind of player. Yeah, um, I really thought that I really thought that Chris Paul was going to open up the game, the floor for Steve, and he was going to be able to get some buckets closer to the rim. Because with Russ, it was kind of the only shot he was really getting consistently was that floater type thing, and that's just not a sustainable thing that you're going to shoot a really high percentage on. Right. And I thought with Chris Paul's ability to shoot off the dribble, it might open things up a little bit. And, you know, maybe this, you know, this is a lot maybe on Chris Paul that he needs to play better, he needs to be more aggressive. But, you know, really, if you look at the, the lineup, like Shea's shooting well, Danilo Gallinari's maybe the best shooter we've had since Kevin Durant. Um, mm-hmm. As a just as a pure shooter, and you know we don't have a ridiculous non-shooter like Russell Westbrook out there, so you would think that he would have more room to operate and do things, and it's just not happening. And it's he's not aggressive, and I just I'm tired of waiting. Like you know, if he becomes a 35 percent three-point shooter by the end of the season, I will reconsider my stance. <laughs> But that's pretty much what it's going to take at this point for me. Right. Well, that's like I look at it like I was like, you know, well, if Chris Paul can get him more involved in the pick and roll and if Chris Paul can like, you know, play better and, you know, they can develop chemistry in the pick and roll like gathering yeah, numbers will go up. I don't even know if I necessarily want that to happen because I'm really I'm really pleased with the style of basketball the Thunder are playing, particularly with those guys on the floor, with the starting five on the floor. Yeah, I think that, you know, there are that's that there's a good balance that they're going to have to strike, because if things start going better, we're going to start winning more games. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I've kind of settled into this. I'm kind of hoping we lose games type thing. And like that's not, you know. It's not great, but I really I don't care. I would this was no, always I, me. I, yeah. I was, I was, as soon as they traded Paul George, I was always gonna be rooting for the Thunder to lose this year. Right. Um and I've you know, I've kind of started looking at the draft and like, ooh, I really like that guy. Ooh, that guy would fit great with Shea and you know, so I'm kind of I'm kinda of at that point already, just after four games. Like it was nice to get a really nice blowout against the Warriors because you know, they've kind of damaged us over the years. So that was that was fun. But, mm-hmm. you know, I I am I'm settled into I would like us to play close games and just lose all of them. Yeah. Um, and, you it know, is, it's really shaping up to do that. So, right. It is really important to me that we do not get out tanked by the Warriors. I would not be if the Warriors pull um, <laughs> a Spurs. And just, you know, they're with Clay out like the Admiral was out and then they pull a Tim Duncan like I would be so furious. Uh, so we really need to at least at the very least out tank the Warriors, um, which I think we can do. Um, elsewhere in the NBA, any surprises? 
How are we feeling about how the season has opened so far league-wide? So, well, me as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, I couldn't be more happy. The season is off to an incredible start. Mm-hmm. Alex, what are your initial thoughts? Did you watch them play at all last night? Yeah, I watched most of game. that one. I yeah. did too. That was an awesome game to watch. Trey Young is so freaking fun. I know he, I, got, I, he rolled his ankle, but he's so good. I just cannot believe why people thought Trey Young would be a bust. Like, when are people going to learn? If you have at least one elite skill, you will stick in the league. And it's not even Trey's shooting that's his elite skill. His passing is just absolutely unreal. And he's been so on point this season. Their first game against the Pistons, you know, he was cooking. He was pulling up from the logo. That wasn't even the most impressive thing to me. He was just hitting every pass with anticipation, like, effortlessly he got whatever he wanted he was addition to jabari parker on the roll he was like bending it around guys it was absolutely unreal and then yesterday against philadelphia he had two incredible highlight passes there was one he was kind of the left wing extended you know kind of between that like 35 foot range in the middle of, of half court in the three-point line and he's like he's getting pressured and he slings it to the right corner across the court one-handed perfectly on point and like for a wide open three and the guy knocks down the corner three then there was another time a bit later in the game it was in the second quarter i think the sixers they just decided to you know pull out some random full court press after a make and i was like oh they're going you know the full west virginia javon carter plan of just like literally beat the crap out of trey young and don't let him get it past half court easily and, like, that worked against him in college. And this time, he just, like, calmly dribbles around and literally threw a full-court pass to Alex Lynn over Joel Embiid, who's playing incredibly as well, but threw a full-court pass to Alex Lynn for a wide-open dunk. And it was, just like, I don't understand why people didn't see the passing. And, like, yeah, that guy can play. Well, it's because, for the most part, um, people only watch Trey um, on an abysmal Oklahoma team after ESPN had decided that all of his games needed his own televised stat line. Um, and then he got traded for Luka Doncic. <laughs> yeah. So those two things, I think, combined, and everyone was like, next Jimmer. Um, yeah. I'm just glad that Travis Schlenk appears to be an intelligent guy and, like, Literally everybody that just let ESPN coat their opinion of Trey Young is so stupid and didn't watch a single thing about him at Oklahoma. Right. Um, yeah, no, Trey has been incredible. I get, like, he literally just rolled his ankle, which sucks. But, um, I mean, getting player of the week honors in the East. Um, yeah, no, he's off to a great start. You know who's not off to a great start? Tell me, Ryan. The Kings. Yeah, they're really not. They uh, can't really play defense all that good. I right. think you mean. I think you mean the Kings. Right. It's uh, we have Kings going Kings. Kings. <laughs> they are once yeah. again the Kings. Um, yeah, well, they they decided they didn't like their good basketball coach, and they decided to hire a bad basketball coach. And this is the result that happens when you do that. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Shout out. I really like De'Aaron Fox. I really like Buddy Heald. But then they went out and instead of, you know, 
thinking, oh, we have these great young players. We should kind of cultivate them and make them into, you know, put them in good development situations. They go out and decide, no, we need Trevor Ariza. We need Corey Joseph. We need Dwayne Dedman. They're making like contender moves for this developing team that hasn't made the playoffs in like 16 years. Right. Um, in a West division that got more, or Western Conference that got more difficult over like right. more deep, and they were just on the outside looking in last year, and it just got more deep this year. I yep. um, remember when people thought Luke Welton was the guy behind the 73 win season. Yeah. Yeah, that was real dumb, and I will say that at one point, I was, I mean, I was definitely excited when the Lakers hired him. I thought it was a good hire. Um, obviously, that did not work out particularly well, and, you know, if you ask any Lakers fan about what they think about the job that Luke Walton did while he was with the Lakers, you will not hear a single positive take on that. Right. Uh, um, so, I mean, it, it shouldn't be surprising that, the Kings did what they did because I mean, they've never last year was the best season they've had in literally 15 years and they didn't make the playoffs. Like it was, mm. you know, that was the first sign of life they have shown in that long. And it shouldn't be surprising that it didn't last with the management that they have with the ownership that they have. Like that's just kind right. of far worse. And I feel bad for buddy healed. At least he got the bag, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's kind of seems like he maybe should have held out. Yeah, I mean, I you know, good for him getting his money, and I'm sure he wanted to stay there. That's cool. And, you know, they're going to be paying a 30-year-old Buddy Hill a lot of money, so good for them as well. Um, but, yeah, it would have been interesting to kind of see what would have happened if they had decided, hey, let's try to trade this guy. You know, I think they could have gotten a pretty good trade package for him. Mm-hmm. And if that's honestly what I would have done, I would have done that and then gone with Bogdanovich at the two. And just kind of went from there. Like, I mean, and really their misstep started last year when they decided to trade for Harrison Barnes. Like, right. there was really no good reason to do that. And there was really no good reason to pay him over $80 million this offseason. Um, so that that was confusing. And, you know, they've got Marvin Bagley that they're, you know, content on just playing him at the four and limiting their offensive ceiling in that way. So I'm... I'm a little – I'm sad because I like some of their players, though. Like, I really like De'Aaron Fox. I like Marvin Bagley. And it just – I don't know. It's just not ever going to be any good because they're the Kings. Yeah, which is sad. Um, very sad. Um, the Suns trying got to do to some, a hot start. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying I'm trying to do some quick research and because the Kings' net rating right now is minus 19, and that is – by far the worst in the league. The the Hornets are at minus 13 at second to last. So that's like horrible. And so far, the only team in the last four seasons I've found that's gotten off to this bad of a start is the 2017-18 Suns. So that is not good company to be in. Yeah. Um the Suns got off to a really good start, and then okay. uh, DeAndre Ayton got suspended. Yeah. Um, honestly, are we are we going to talk about the Kings and the Suns before we even mention an LA team? Is that yeah. really what, is that what we're doing here? Of course. Okay. Um, what kind of podcast? Done, we're done talking is, about bro? the Suns. I don't think there's anything else to say about them. 
Uh, but now let's let's now we'll stuff. now we'll bow down to Alex and his big LA media. Um, I did you guys watch that game on the opening night? Uh, like, uh, I watched the beginning of it. I didn't watch the end. Yeah, that was one of the more exciting atmospheres for a regular season game like I've ever seen in NBA. Like it was incredible. Like mm. it was an awesome atmosphere. Um, and obviously the takeaway from that was, wow, this is the Clippers one. They don't even have Paul George yet. And my take on that is, honestly, we don't know what version of Paul George we're going to get. Right. And, you know, that is, you know. And I'm also pretty hopeful that at some point the Lakers will start playing basketball in a way that isn't like utterly late 90s. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Um, they're just probably going to have to be really good at that, and I think they probably will. And I think they're, you know, they have LeBron and AD. It's probably going to right. I do think that eventually they will start playing AD at the five more, and that will mm-hmm. kind of open things up. That's kind of a battle that is ongoing, and it's pretty interesting. But I'm sure right. people hear me talk about it. Um, but what I'll say about with with Paul George is that I'm I'm really interested to see how he comes back because. I mean, the last two or three months of last season, that dude was bad. Like, just straight up bad. Like, he mm-hmm. was amazing for part of the season. Right. And, that's and then what he, hit a, he hit a game-winning floater over Rudy Gobert and immediately decided to never be good at basketball again. Yeah, and what I, I will say this until the end of my life. I Paul George will never play basketball as well as he did last year for that hot streak. Like... That's the kind of player Paul George is. Like he was never as good as that player, and it's not like he is just that guy now because he had a couple months where he was great. Like Paul George is a overall pretty streaky player, and even by his standards, that was ridiculous. He will not be that guy ever again. I promise you. If you expect that Paul George to be added to the Clippers, you're going to be disappointed. It's not going to be a thing. First of all, he's not going to have the freedom to do that because he's going to be playing with Kawhi Leonard and other guys that can actually score. Last year, Paul George had to do that because he was playing with a point guard that was shooting like 20% from the field. Right. Um, I mean, even still, I mean, obviously, it's still Paul George. And, you know, 80% of him, what he was last year, is still better than, like, Jamichael Green that they're trotting out there. No, it's fair. Like, absolutely. I'm not saying he's not going to help. Like, obviously, he's going to help. But I'm just saying, like, I don't think Paul George being there is going to make them this unstoppable force. Like, oh, yeah. I think we're expecting them to kind of be like this Warriors type team. And that's that's just not going to be the case. I'm fully confident in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I kind of want to bring the conversation back to the Phoenix um, Suns. <laughs> back to AD and playing the five. Um, and I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about Al Horford going to the 76ers. Um, okay. And I want to talk. So small ball, the revolution, right? And the crown of the small ball revolution of the three pointer is king of teams playing smaller and faster and taking more shots um, are unicorn players, right? Big fives who can protect the rim, run the floor, and shoot the three. Um, And I'm starting to... I'm interested to see now, because 
I don't think there's tactically any reason to suggest that this is not the way to proceed as basketball goes. Like, I think it is sim- like straightforwardly three is more than two um, and will ever be so. And so I think like small ball is definitely like tactically, strategically building a roster around playing that style is definitively like the future of the game. And yet last season we had two guys make moves and influence moves around them to engineer um, a way that they don't have to play small ball five. Um, Anthony Davis goes, goes to the Lakers and insists that he wants to play the four. Um, and the Lakers build a roster around the understanding that Anthony Davis would like to play power forward. Um, meanwhile, Al Horford, who has like been <laughs> a stretch five since his time at Atlanta and like a really good one, um, both with the Hawks and the Celtics, like goes to 76ers in part because he can play four next to Embiid and he prefers to play four. Um, and then, like, this is also something that, like, Chris Tapps has done his entire career, is primarily play four, even at even as, like, now I guess the third tallest player in the NBA. Um, primarily plays power forward, um, because he doesn't like playing five. Um, and I, I'm just wondering if this is going to become a trend, and, like, the, like, force that ultimately, like, buoys the small ball revolution is, like, player preference. Um, which I find really interesting, and I think it's sort of I think, an unexpected thing. I think the Sixers are definitely going to be the most interesting experiment for that, because I think it'll kind of be like the mid-range shooting debate that's going on right now, you know, around Zach Levine and Kevin Durant talking about it. It really depends where your elite guys are. And it's so like the Sixers are off to an incredible start right now, and that's because the guy they are playing at the five is Joel Embiid, next to Al Horford, and there are so many things you can do. Like, those guys, the deficiencies that you bring on with, you know, playing a guy like Horford at the four, you can make up for it because you have elite talent. When you're playing JaVale McGee at your most common five and your elite guys playing the four, I think you are definitely more at risk to get exposed that way. And so it'll be interesting to see, like, will the Sixers keep this up all year? How much will Anthony Davis continue to play the four? Like, they've rested Embiid they rested him against the Pistons um obviously they like using Horford in like spot five minutes so that one of them is always on the court in close games so it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see over the course of the season maybe in two seasons how much the pendulum will continue to swing if it's a flash in the pan for this one team you know does it not work anymore does it only work when everybody if you are the only one zigging while everyone zags and so it'll be It'll be fun to watch that develop through this year and probably even the next two years. Right. And this is all, you know, failing to mention the tactical revolution that the New York Knicks have stumbled upon, where you simply play three power forwards at all times. Yeah. <laughs> the Knicks are so hilarious, man. And they won last night. Right. Did you guys hear that they uh, booed Dennis Smith off the court and chanted, We want Frank? Oh my god! I did not. But how has Frank Nilakina been a guy that New York fans have kind of gravitated towards? Like I don't that's know. Why I don't know. Because that dude is yeah, like Frank. Frank Nilakina. Were you about to you about to slander Frank Nilakina? Did you say he's not good? No, you can talk. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, he, he currently is not good, and you're correct if that's what you're about to say. But he's still the kind of guy, like, I think you put him in the right situation and he could be a great lockdown defender. And But, yeah, you're right. Like, the kind of guy he is right now is not the kind of guy you would ever think a New York basketball team would rally around. Right. right. It just I must it must be really bad for Dennis Smith right now. I mean, I'm yeah. not going to claim to have watched it no. because you know, <laughs> no. I, I second of the Knicks play, um, but things must be going really poorly. Um, can we shift things back to the Thunder a little bit? Sure. So, I you know I talked about Stephen Adams being a guy that I don't think matters anymore. I don't think he's important to this team's future at all. Um, so can we talk about the guys that are important to the Thunder's future? Um, and obviously SGA is a thing, but let's start with, I think, probably the second most important guy on this current roster for the future of the Thunder, and that's Darius Baisley. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you guys' Darius Baisley thoughts for through four games of NBA basketball? Um, I My biggest thought about Baisley right now is that I'm so mad that he has to split most of its minutes or share most of his minutes with Schroeder because it means he doesn't touch the ball nearly as much as he should. Right. Um, I am. I don't think there is anything more frustrating to me right now than the fact that Darius Baisley has to be in that horrible second unit with Nader and Nerlens and Schroeder and Nerlens has been all right this season so far. Um, yeah, it's to me, it's so frustrating. I feel like it's I just want to see him touch the ball more and he won't if he's playing with Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, I think Baisley massively could have benefited from playing for the Oklahoma City Blue this year. Um, he's had a full year off of competitive basketball as a New Balance intern. And like you said, he's not getting to touch the ball as much as he should. The guys he's playing with are terrible relative to the competition they're going up against as well so he's definitely not being put into a good position right now but he's, he's shown some flashes and ability to handle the ball that kind of stuff um so there's there's definitely promise with him but it, it's been rough going for him to start i so i have a take on that and i'm gonna disagree with you and that's that, fine i mean obviously you know, the G, the G League is, is a good place to play. Like, you can develop there. But I think it might wind up being more valuable for Baisley to play in this situation where he's not on the ball a lot because he is he's a good ball handler. Like, that's one of his good NBA skills. And in order for him to be a well-rounded player, he's going to have to learn how to be a good off-ball player too. Mm-hmm. And the only way for him to do that is to do it. And I, so I think that this could be really good minutes for him, even though he might not look great because he doesn't have the ball and he's not really allowed to do what he is really good at. Mm-hmm. But I'm perfectly happy watching him flash some really nice things and have like two really nice passes a game that you're like, oh, he just found that guy. That's a pretty rare talent. You know, like it's right. it's a pretty cool thing to watch. And then, you know, yeah, he bricks some threes, but, you know, he makes some too. So I actually right. think it's good for him to play in a, a not ideal situation right now. Like, obviously, long term, you're going to want to see him get the ball more. And I think as the season progresses, I think when you get guys like Danilo Gallinari out of the way, I think there will be more minutes and more. Mm-hmm. 
um, ball handling duties that come Darius Baisley's way. Um, but I think for now, I think he's in a pretty decent spot for, you know, he's not, he's not really asked to do a whole lot. So what he is doing is it's good to see, like he's not getting super exposed. Like, yeah, defensively last night, Russell Westbrook went right through him because Russ is strong, you know, like right. that. Happened. Russ but is I, strong and he's 19. Yeah. Like, just, just the experience of getting to do that and get pushed around by these guys. I think for a guy like Baisley is, is a good thing. I think that that he'll, he will grow a lot through that. Um, yeah. And when you look at it in the context of his situation right now, like he's not under an intense microscope. So like a lot of guys, when they are that way, put into a position that's just not, not conducive for playing well. Um, they tend to like, you know, kind of, they don't grow like they should. And they kind of, I don't know, they, they collapse under the microscope of having, you know, fans watching them and criticizing them and all that, those kind of things. But there's not really a microscope on the Thunder right now. Like, you don't care that his minutes are bad and that he's blowing Russell Westbrook's 20-point lead. So it, it is a good situation for him to be in uh, in the NBA. I would like to see him. I think the G League, if there was someone like the, the Blue don't have Jawan Evans anymore, and I think if, if they had, like, Jawan Evans to handle the ball in the G League – and he got a little experience off the like not being the main guy there. Like there, there's some heady guys that have been around for a bit that he could kind of learn from in the G League. But there's really no like true ball handler in on the Blues G League team right now. So if he were down there, like yeah, he would be just kind of dominating the ball and maybe not growing in the ways that are good for the long term. Right. I also think um, you know I. Obviously, I want to see him with the opportunity to do more. Um, but he has looked very comfortable. Um, he has not, it has not seemed to me like he has been forcing the, like, his limited touches. Um, he's, um, like, plenty of times I've seen him snag a board, uh, bring it up, and then, like, prepare to reset the offense to the point guard. Like, and that's just like, I don't know, that's like, for a 19-year-old playing in the NBA, that's like, you know, a, an impressive level of understanding of like how the team can best operate. Yeah, it's a very mature approach, I think, because yeah, right. you're right. A lot of guys in his situation, they're comfortable with the ball and not really without it, so they're gonna they're gonna try to make the most of when they actually do get the ball, which is not as often as we would like. Um, so yeah, I, I've been really encouraged by what I've seen. I feel pretty. I think he's going to be a role player at the minimum. I, you know, I think he has potential to be more, but I think the Thunder found a rotation guy for the future of the team, and maybe even the starting power forward on the next good to great Thunder team. To be completely honest, like he's right. he has that kind of skill level, and you know, it's kind of wild thinking back to draft night i was pretty high on the pick because i knew he was a really athletic guy that had some ball handling potential Mm -hmm. but i didn't even know that it was like this i didn't know that he was a guy that had really good passing vision i had no idea well i I just remember uh when we were at uh competing podcast down to dunks uh (laughs) yeah uh draft night party and everyone's sitting around guessing who they're gonna pick and then you get the leak, um, and you turn to me, and you're like, no one's going to be happy about this. And I say, who yep. is it? And you said, Darius Baisley. And I said, who? And he said, exactly. And it's like, is he? And it's like, 
you were like, get this. He's a long, athletic wing. And I was like, can he shoot? And you said, no. <laughs> yep. That's, that's, that's about right. And to the Thunder people's credit at Down to Dunk, there wasn't like booing. There was just mass confusion because literally right. nobody knew who he was. Right. And did it pop up like New Balance? What did it pop up on ESPN's broadcast? It said he was, he was from was America. Oh, okay. I, yeah, yeah, it just said United States of America, I think. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. But, yeah, I mean, he's definitely impressed me and, and kind of, you know, I, I thought he was going to be a G League guy just out of necessity this year. But I think he is a competent enough basketball player to be on an NBA court right now. Even if he's not a good NBA player right now, I think it's not damaging to him to be on the court. And I actually think it's helpful. So, yeah. uh, so speaking right. of long athletic wings that skipped an entire year of basketball in America and maybe can't shoot, how do we feel about Terrence Ferguson? I, this this I, is actually an interesting question um, because I feel like it's pretty clear to me like the reason we are looking at Baisley as probably the second most important for the Thunder's future is because we all are sort of expecting the Thunder to pick a, another guard to pair with Shea in the very near future, um, which sort of leaves Terrence sort of hanging out there. But I mean, I think it's been a good experience for him to be playing the three in the starting lineup. Um, you know, playing essentially a three guard lineup because, you know, if he's going to be a part of this team's future, it's likely that it will be in that capacity in some way. Um, he had a really slow start to the season, but he um, didn't look very, he hasn't looked bad in his last two games, I don't think. Um, and he had a really slow start last season too. Um, I still think that he's like going to be a perfectly serviceable three and D uh, like, off-ball guard for um, probably a decade. Um, I don't know if it was that long. But, like, yeah, I think he totally has that ability. I think – I don't know if it'll be with the Thunder. But, you know, I I still think he's good. And it'll be interesting to see where that ends up with the Thunder. If the Thunder could trade him tomorrow for a first-round draft pick, I would do it. I don't even care where it is. And the reason why I say that is because I don't think his value is going to go up. The fir- the closer he gets to a second contract, his value is going to go down. That's and true. I don't think he's going to get ample opportunities on this team because, you know, he was on a team last year with Russell Westbrook and Paul George that could kind of get him as many open shots as he was willing to take. That's just not the case anymore. And, that's- and he's not the kind of guy that is going to force his way into more looks. And right. if he's not getting shots, he's not a particularly effective offensive player because he can't really do anything else at a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who can do anything off the dribble or anything, and he's not going to be this high-energy rebounding type guy. So, I mean, I just I, – I, I don't disagree with what you said, Ryan. I think he has potential to be a really good 3 and D player. Um, I don't think the Thunder need that guy right now. Um, right. So he's kind of wasted on the Thunder right now, and – if I if they could trade him tomorrow, I would do it because I just don't see the value in having a guy like him on a team that can't really consistently get him looks. Like he's he's had multiple games this year where he he took zero shots in the first game. He took one shot last night. Like it's that's not going to get it done. And I don't even right. blame. Him. Like I what what is he supposed to do other than 
get in position and wait for the ball to come his way. If it's not right. coming his way, what is he supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I agree with what Ryan said. And like in a vacuum, I still like Terrence Ferguson if I'm a different team. Um, I I don't know that he's ever going to be able to consistently shoot it at like a 38% clip or higher. You'd prefer higher than that, but even 38% like me just – Looking at his shot, I'm not the biggest fan of it. It's still like it looks very mechanical and mm-hmm. all that. And, um, you know, maybe there's someone else wants to bet on that potential. But, you know, at the, at the point where the Thunder are at, if he doesn't I think the guy you want to put next to Shea, like we've said, has needs to have some secondary creation because Shea can also play off the ball. And then you're just very multiple and you can do a lot of different things. And I don't know that Terrence Ferguson is the guy to put next to Shea. Do like him personally, um, but for a different team right now. Right. I yeah, think I it's... Oh, go ahead. The, they need to trade him to Atlanta because he would be great with Trey Young. Yeah. Atlanta yeah. or Dallas, I think, is like would be in, an incredible spot for him to play next to Luka or Trey. Like, I think that would just be the perfect spot for, for Terrence Ferguson. I think he's an NBA right. player. I just don't I actually, think he's yeah. mad right now. I really like the idea of him playing next to Luka. Because you could do things, you could get ridiculous with it. You could play, you know, you could play lineups where they're like where Terrence is ostensibly the one, right? Uh, That's exactly what I'm thinking. Have him guard the ones, and then Luca's the one on offense. Like I think it's a great, a great idea. Right. Do the Um, Mavericks? Do the Mavericks? One, do they have their first round pick this year? And two, do they think they're good enough to where that'll be a bad first round pick, and they give it up for Terrence Ferguson? Uh, I really have no idea, actually. Right. I think yeah. I think because it was last is because they traded it last year. Yeah, the yeah, right. yeah. So they have to have it. So give it to us. Come on, what are we doing? Well, hang on. Can't they even trade it if they traded it last year? No, they can't. They can't trade it. Oh, okay. I thought that you couldn't trade it ahead of time, but didn't right. realize that. Give us Jalen Brunson. I know that's, they want to keep him, but <laughs> Jalen Brunson would be great with uh, with Shea. Right, but that's the um, that's the thing for me with Terrence is that I don't think he's a bad player, but the Thunder are in an opportunity where they can really build the roster they want. Um, and so there's no reason for them to make concessions. There's no reason for them to try and figure out a way to work with an awkward fit. Um, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, about Shea because obviously Shea is the guy. He is the guy that this team is – he's the starting point for the next team. Right, like he is that right. amazing to start the year. Um, I was we were talking about him before the pod started, and he's literally already a better, definitely a better scorer than I thought he would ever be in the NBA. Like he's yeah. averaging twenty points a game. He's scoring in a variety of ways. He's shooting well. He can get to the line, and you know he's not even shooting particularly well with the line right now. That I, I think that'll improve and. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's a baller. Like he's really freaking good. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, it's you know th- there was always the question coming into this of like, well, how much of an offensive load can he handle? Because playing with the Clippers last year, he was really, you know, um, not a not the primary guy pretty much at any point in any rotation, um, and just you know seen as a guy who can you know score and do some secondary playmaking as a, you know, 
And I mean, he has stepped comfortably into the role as the Thunder's, you know, primary scoring option, um, which is, um, I think, and this is something you brought up, Alex, before the podcast, not necessarily an ideal role for him. Um, it's he's probably going to be better. Like a championship team is going to want to have a scoring option, like a step above him. Yeah. Uh, but no, he can, I mean, he can really score and yeah. that's really impressive. Um, I remember last year when I got to see Shea in person, when he was on the Clippers against the Blazers, um, like the general effects I gather is like, Oh, okay. He's a rookie who could like start and play defense. And, like that's novel, but it's not astonishing. Uh, but he is capable of a lot more than that, and he apparently just needed the opportunity to demonstrate it. Yeah, no, I think he's 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 been great, and I I can't believe. And I think one of the things that's just a joy to watch is he's so different from the last guard that we had. Uh, right, it may have been like more fun to watch because. I don't know. I just got kind of tired of our last point guard, um, and it's it's nice. <laughs> Whose name we can't use for yeah. legal purposes, I guess. <laughs> I'm just saying, like I I enjoy the the contrast from our last guy. Um, right. It's just I like him. I like him a lot. So one of the things I wanted to talk about on this pod was, you know, you kind of mentioned the Thunder are going to look to draft a guy f- with him. Um, to go in the backcourt. And so my question is just what, what kind of guy do you think that is? What is the, what kind of players fit really well with Shea? Shea fits well with a lot of guys, but if you're talking about fitting a guy with Shea, what is the ideal guy to put with him as just a pure backcourt guy? Obviously the Holy grail of an NBA player right now is a guy at the three that can play, make and be a primary scoring option. Like so, no fucking shit. If you can get one of those guys, <laughs> yes, that's you're right. Answer. Yeah, yeah. LeBron James would be great next to Shea. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Luka Luka Doncic would be fantastic, obviously. But like, if we're if we're looking at like a more realistic option as like a guard type, what what kind of guy are you are you guys thinking? Um, Sam, you go first. I think we kind of talked about. I mean. Shea is incredible off ball and can be on ball. So you really want somebody else that can also do that because like I said, it's best to, you know, keep people guessing if you, you know, Kai right now, Shea has played 81% of his minutes, I think on ball or off at, at the two is what uh, basketball reference has. And so he's played a lot, most of his minutes with Chris Paul and that's fine because, you know, he can do that, but you would really like him to be with another guy, they could kind of 50-50 split that. Um, yep. So, Or even, you know, 60-40, play him more at the um, one. But there's a bunch of guys in this draft there like that. Like, I know, Alex, you love Scotty Lewis that's uh, committed to Florida, who's kind of – he's more of a two. Um, I don't know. Do, how is Scotty Lewis's playmaking? Yeah, so kind of what I've heard mostly about Scotty Lewis is that he's – got a questionable jumper like he's just like mm-hmm. a he's basically just a raw ridiculous athlete that's going to be a really high level on ball defender um i'm a little skeptical of his offensive game like he's got the athletic potential to be 
a really good, at least slashing type player. Um, I, w- I do worry about his feel and his like playmaking ability. So mm. I, think, I don't think that's a bad fit at all. I don't think it's ideal. Um, yeah. Another guy, and that's that's the thing with Shea is like there's really nothing that's a bad fit because he he right. can really do whatever. Um, a guy that we've talked about before that I really like is Tyrese Maxey, um, and he's a bit of an undersized guy. He's six three, so he'd definitely be defending ones um, on that end. But he does play. He's a ball handler that does a lot of you know cutting and slashing. So he's kind of more of a combo guard. He can play off ball. He has a decent jumper. He's insanely athletic, though. And so I think he, he's the kind of guy that could go, you know, in and out, could could handle a ball, especially with a second unit, could play off ball with Shea, could let Shea play off ball. What do you yeah. feel about – what do you guys feel about Tyrese Maxey? I think I Max. Think, oh, go ahead. I think Maxey's a really good fit because, you know, with having a guy like Shea that's six foot six. It's it gives you the kind of unique opportunity to where you can have an undersized two and survive the size and the defense because you know I mean Portland kind of does this with Dame and CJ and they're always just going to be a little bit limited defensively and I think mm-hmm. you have the ability to have that kind of offensive player but then not be limited defensively because of Shea's size so I really like Tyrese Maxey as well I think he'd be a great fit mm-hmm. right. I think um, if I'm looking at this, I think there's two ways to go with it. Um, and the first is actually to me, like, can we just clone Shay? Uh, <laughs> no, I thought just, about that a lot. Yeah. Ju- yeah, just like a like a, a player who matches his skill set perfectly because like his skill set is complementary with basically everything, including itself. Um, yeah. So if you could just play two big guards who can split playmaking duties and like shoot well enough to like shoot well and defend well and playmake well and slash well, like th- I think that's perfect. Um, and like I think an equally valid option is going for someone like a Tyrese Maxey, who I think is a really good example of sort of what I want, which is. Because if there's one thing that is, that Shea, uh, like if you want to look at it like a theoretical drawback of Shea, he's not hugely athletic. Um, so like a guy who can like be an energetic off-ball player in terms of like a guy that you can send running through screens um, is sort of, to me, that's like the other way to go. Either like double up in size or like go for somebody who can like, who will work really hard off the ball and like yeah. can draw attention that way. And the kind of guy you're kind of describing, there's a guy that's kind of both of those, and it's Josh Green that from Arizona that Alex and I both love. He's a bigger guy. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, um, kind of a combo guard wing, and he's just insanely bouncy and athletic, would definitely like c- create a lot of gravity cutting and all that sort of stuff. His jump shot is like kind of questionable, and so it'll be interesting to see how he does at Arizona this year. Um, if he which, you know, we might not be picking in the top ten. If he's knocking down threes at a consistent clip this year, he'll definitely be a top ten guy. He's I, he's one of my favorite guys in this class. Yeah, and I, I'm going to go with a hot take here. I think the actual best fit for this is Anthony Edwards, who is... <laughs> who is probably most, the best player in the class. Yeah, most people <laughs> want. Um, 
So, yeah. So if you're thinking about, like, who are we tanking for, I think it's Anthony Edwards. Like, if we can get him, like, the guy is, he's 6'4", 6'5", you know, 2'10", 215, and he's so freaking athletic. And he's a guy that can score pretty much all over the court. You know, his he's not the best shooter in the world, but he's not a bad shooter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of I kind of think of him in my head as like a bigger Victor Oladipo. I mean, it's definitely not a perfect comp comparison, but I, you know, it's like that kind of ish player. Right. And I think a, an Oladipo type is like a really really good fit because you kind of address everything that we've talked about. We've talked. You, know, you might want a guy that can be a little more athletic than Shea to kind of balance that out. You want a guy that can play off of Shea, and you want a guy that Shea can play off of. And I think that kind of player is the ideal fit next to Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, I, Ryan, uh, go ahead. You you brought up a um, hot take, maybe a hottish take before the show of a guy you think would fit really well. Right. Next to Shea. I even, and I have yeah. a guy in the draft who's very closely related, some might say, that I think could be a good fit. So would you like <laughs> to bring up yours or should I bring right. up mine first? I'll, I'll, I'll talk my guy. Look, there's um, I honestly don't even think this is a hot take anymore because he's not on the Lakers. But like I think Lonzo Ball would be an amazing fit next to Shea uh, with the one consideration being like whatever, like him figuring out how to shoot free throws. Um, like. Because with Lonzo, you're getting a a big guy. You're getting a really good defender. I don't think any. I I think to me the biggest miss um, in terms of my expectation of Lonzo coming into the NBA was I didn't realize like oh man no he is a good defender. Um, and you know he brings size. He brings intelligence. He's a great passer. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. And in fact, you probably don't want the ball in his hands all that much. Um, which is perfect with Shane now that he's developed in, into a situation where like, yeah, no, Shay with the ball in his hands most of the time is fine. Um, yeah, no, I think Lon- I think Lonzo Ball is like, would be a really good fit next to Shay. Yeah, I, I, I think he could be a good fit too. And that's why I wanted to let you bring that up first because I also think a guy in the draft man named Lamelo Ball could be a really good fit next to Shay. He like, Lamelo. Definitely did not benefit from Lonzo being in the spotlight early and his dad putting him into the spotlight early. Because we've been hearing about LaMelo since he was like a freshman in AAU and literally every kid just took half court shots. Yeah, literally every kid looks like dog shit in AAU. And especially whenever you like have that, you've been given that mindset by your dad and like being in a spotlight. He was just looked terrible. Absolutely would not play defense. He... Yeah, would pull up from half court in AAU games. He would score 80 points in a game on like 70 shots. I don't even know how you have enough time to do that in an AAU game, but he did it. Um, he was also like undersized then. He was probably maybe six feet tall. His hair was ridiculously tall back then. But now he is, you know, developed. He should be a he should be a, a freshman in college right now, right? Isn't he that age? He would have yeah. been in. Um, yeah. I can't remember if he classified, but I mean, he's 18, 19 years old now. He has gotten up to like six, six. I mean, he's huge. He's very fluid. He can shoot. His shot is still kind of ugly, but not as ugly as Lonzo's was. Um, he's looked incredible right now playing in Australia. So you can't really tell much from that, but I mean, he honestly, his game is a lot like Lonzo's except maybe 
you know, the level of competition aside, maybe looks a little bit more polished right now and maybe can shoot a bit better. What have you watched much of LaMelo, Alex? Yeah, I I mean I know that there are people that have big concerns about his shooting because his numbers are not great in that regard, but I also know that like I'm a big fan of Cole's Wicker and he I feel like he has a good feel for how guys will develop in the league and he really likes his upside because he has really good touch around the rim, which that is definitely not something that Lonzo has. Um, so I generally think a guy with really good touch is going to develop as a shooter. Um, so I, I really, yeah, it'd be an unbelievable fit. You know, he's also a guy that right now he's looking like a top three pick. So mm-hmm. you know, really hoping that, you know, the Thunder tank really well. Um, you know, obviously Cole Anthony's a guy that's been around, you know, he's been talked about for a while and he's, he'd be another good fit. He's like more of a true point guard sized guy that can really score. Um, I like him a lot, you know, and he really, if the Thunder just don't take James Wiseman, I'll be happy. Just don't draft a big guy. Don't ever do that. So, yeah, luckily he'll, I think he'll probably get like a DeAndre eight number one pick thing. Probably. So that'll be good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really great. hard to tell, you know, where are the Thunder going to be picking? I mean, is the tank going to be so successful that they are, you know, top eight team? Or are they going to keep, is, you know, they're, they're kind of in a lot of these 50-50 games. Are they going to, you know, get lucky and swing towards the win side? And we're going to be, you know, around the 12 or 13 range for our pick. So that definitely factors into, you know, which what caliber of guy we'll be looking at. Yeah, I yeah. think that, you know, with the way the season's starting, if we can keep losing, that it might just go that way. They might be more willing to pull the plug and, you know, hopefully find a trade for Gallinari. Like, I think once the Thunder trade Gallinari, they're going to find it really, really difficult to score because they're right. already 26th in offense right now. And Gallinari is their best offensive player, or at least second best offensive player. And I, think it's, yeah, I think it's safe to say he's the best. Yeah. Like there's, it's, like, he has a really good shooter. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, that it's going to be tough for them to score the basketball unless unless Chris Paul shows signs of life, because so far we've seen kind of washed Chris Paul. And honestly, we've seen washed Steven Adams. So unless those guys have like a resurgence of what they've been in the past, Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, this is going to be a really bad basketball team. Like, there's yeah. really no way around it. And, you know, you've got teams like Phoenix showing some life. You know, I, I tend to think Sacramento still has – they have more talent than the Thunder. So, there's, you know, that possibility that they get it figured out. Like, the Thunder are going to be in there with, you know, Memphis and Phoenix probably down there at the bottom of the West. And, you know, that's, I mean, I think the Western Conference is a really good place to be right now if you're tanking. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah, it's nice because, like you said, either Danilo Garnari is going to continue to be awesome on offense and we're going to get great trade value for him. And the silver lining, if he's not, is that the team's going to suck and the draft pick will be better. And we'll still probably get right. some value for him in a trade. So, And th- like, oh. this is the great part of being in the situation the Thunder are in, is that at this point, it's very difficult to screw it's up. It's all wins. Everything right. is a win. 82-0, baby. 
Yeah. Two and oh. some other man. I'm just so freaking excited for the draft. Now we're definitely gonna have to do a lot of draft podcasts because there's oh, a bunch yeah. of other guys. Yeah. I'm gonna you know, start watching mention, college basketball. You might have to start watching international basketball because there's some guys. There's right. a guy Theo right. Maladon that's playing in France. That's like right. really awesome, but I need to see more of. Um, that's so, that's an interesting or, aspect of this draft is like you're getting like the French golden generation who we just didn't talk about at all. Yeah. Yeah, there are a bunch of these guys in this one. What, Alex? With Theo Maladon, one of the, the comparisons I've seen for him is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, saying. if we could get him, I need to watch more of him if we could get him. He seems awesome on the surface. Um, there's a couple other guys, older guys in college basketball. Jordan War is a Louisville guy that can, he'll be in his junior year. He can shoot it, and he can kind of cut, and he's you know, pretty athletic. So he's a guy that could, he'll probably be like mid-first. Um, and then Isaiah Joe at Arkansas can just shoot the ever-living crap out of the ball. And he's very fun and has a ton of confidence. And I think an elite, elite shooter. I mean, you've seen it like Landry Shamit next to Shea Gilchrist-Alexander worked really well. And so I think if you have a guy like Isaiah Joe, they get like at the end of the first with a Clippers pick, that could be another great fit with Shea. Right. Yep. Yep. Oh, I'm so excited. Very, yeah, there's very like, exciting. There's like 40 guys that I'm like, ooh, that guy would fit with Shea. It's just because because everyone would fit with Shea. Yeah. Everybody fits with Shea. It's great. We talked we talk so long about the draft. We don't even have that much time if we are going to talk about how excited I actually am for college basketball again. Because last year, Alex and I both swore off that we didn't care. And for the most part, we didn't. We watched occasionally for the draft. Like, Did not care about college basketball. Did not think OU, who is the team we care about, would be very good. They, on the surface, looked very good, but they were incredibly frustrating to watch. I could not be happy, more happy that last season is over, and this season looks like it should be a pretty good one for the Sooners. So, right, yeah, I don't, I don't really have much to say. Like, I, I'm interested that I, they have more good players, I think, on their roster than they've had since that Final Four. Team. Yeah, so that's exciting. Yeah, like right. the freshmen. Oh, you got like five new guys that all look like they can be contributors right away. Um, they got a bunch of JUCO guys and then a couple freshmen that might be able to step in. One freshman to look out for is Devion Harmon. He was OU's best recruit um, tonight in their <laughs> exhibition game. He looked awesome, and it he's fit, a potential like four-year guy. It fit really well with Shea in a few years. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Get him on there. Yeah. And, of course, you know, they're buoyed by the leadership of future Thunder Summer League player Brady Manick. And You're going to have to fight, fight Bryce Alford. To get a spot on the blue, you got to be able to shoot that guy. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, I'm done. I got to go. Yep. Right. Same. Same. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. Uh, it's a bye week. Watch basketball. Um, and we'll be back next week. Uh, maybe talk a little bit more about football. We'll see. <laughs> No, we will. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or on Podbean. Uh, follow us on Twitter at not that Sam Davis at p purd happily p u r d underscore uh, and at r w maxi. Um, and I hope you have a good week.